It's good morning. It's good to see everybody, um, especially when uh, it seems like um, this whole area has been struck with contagion everywhere. It seems like everyone and their brother is ill. And if you are ill today, um, please uh, let me know so I can really get that, uh, you know, the hand, pure hand, pure, what is that stuff called? Hand sanitizer. That's, I can't even remember that word. That's going to be a good start to a sermon when you can't remember hand sanitizer. Good to see you this morning. If you have a Bible, uh, please turn to James chapter 2, verse 1. James chapter 2, verse 1 in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it will be on the screen for you, so you are in luck. You can follow along. And I want this morning... To, uh, to tell a story from, um, from when I was a young boy at the church that I, that I went to. The church that I w- grew up in as a little boy, well, I moved all around, but the one I spent my, my middle school and high school years at was a church that was, it had some really great people in it who loved Jesus, but there was also some spiritual darkness that was there that ultimately would end up overcoming the church later on. And one of those examples of spiritual darkness coming and being seen was there was a, a couple— who showed up to church one Sunday, and they had been, we were in Florida, and um, one, uh, they had been biking around the, the state of Florida on, not like motorcycles, but on bicycles, and that was kind of their kind of Ironman, they're from Australia, and so as the service began at our church one Sunday morning, these people walked in wearing clothing that you would go biking in, Okay. Now, this was a pretty conservative church in, in forms of dress, and most of the guys wore suit and tie, and, and, and most of the ladies, they, they dressed up quite a bit. And when, these, the, the, when this couple came in, they were wearing spandex, bike shorts, and T-shirts, okay? Now, I would never want to wear spandex, bike shorts, and T-shirts ever. You don't want to see that either, but if you're riding a bike, that's what you do, okay? And it's hot. It's Florida, so it doesn't make much sense. These people, they're, they're from Australia, just in this country for this bike riding tour, and, and they show up, and they see a church, and they said, oh, they want to go in. They're believers. They want to come in and worship. So they walk in, and they sit down, and they enjoy the worship service as best we could tell. And as I remember the story as a kid, the pastor was trying to make a beeline to get to them before some of our more surly members made it over there. There were some of those, there were some great godly people in this church, but there were some people that obviously were, were unregenerate, okay? And this was probably one of these guys. He jumps up and he runs over before the pastor can make it. One of the surlier of the surly surly men we had in this church makes it over to this couple and berates them for how dare they walk into the house of God wearing something like that. First off, this is just clear, let me be clear, a church building is not the house of God. God does not dwell in temple of human hand, uh, temples made by human hands. He is the God Almighty. Okay, this is just a building. Okay, this building used to be a lot of things, and this building—if God was living in this building, that would be rough. Okay, <laughs> okay. This is first, so he missed it there, and secondly, he just goes at these people, and he is so belligerent, and ugly. By the time the pastor gets there and just shoes this guy off, these people have just an awful taste in their mouth for American Christianity. And I want you to know something. I think in, if, if this was like a, in a military setting, I grew up as a military brat, some of the things that a, an officer could get um, court-martialed for was conduct unbecoming. That means as an officer in the military, my dad was a lieutenant colonel eventually in the military, 
he had to, there was a certain criteria in which he had to follow to have a behavior that was that was that would match his office, if you would, or the responsibilities he was he was called to. That man on that day showed me something: conduct unbecoming of a believer in Jesus Christ. And as the Bible will tell us, and we will soon see, people who discriminate show favoritism or partiality based on outward concerns only. They are not doing the word of God. And James here picks this up in James chapter 2, and he gives us a scenario. So if you will, we're going to read the scripture for today. James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes coming in also, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes, and you say, hey, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, hey, you, you go stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are, there not the one, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name which you were called if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What we see here, James is talking about conduct unbecoming of believers in a church setting. And he gives for us, in the first few verses, a scenario. And I love scenarios. They help me picture, James is a very practical book. He has so many different vivid images. And this is a kind of a funny, exaggerated image. And there's two guys that walk into a church. Where do you get that? Well, look in verse, verse 1. It says, my brothers, show no, show no partiality as those who hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. So in the scenario, there's two men that walk in. And they come in, he walks into the assembly. This word is actually, if we translated it just word for word here, or, or just transliterated the word, it's synagogue. And we know that, if, you, if you're familiar with that, that's where the Jewish folks would worship. But they're calling an assembly here, and so what we have here is a group of Christians meeting together to worship God. It's the community of believers at that place. So what you actually have here is a kind of a scenario of what happens when somebody walks into the church. Like, like this, this is an assembly, a meeting of the people of God for the glory of God for the worship of God and to hear the scriptures taught and to be changed through the word of God. So this is a situation here. There's a situation, just, just imagine, just think right now, you, where you are, this is, this is a powerful illustration, where you are right now, two guys walk through that door. One of them, what is the scenario? If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, 
And then a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. So there's two guys that walk in. One of the guys is dressed to the nines. And this time, the Bible talks about it this way. He's got a big gold ring, which is, would, would be a, definitely a sign of wealth. Most of the people at that time would never even be able to touch gold, okay? And this guy has a gold ring on. Not only that, he's got fine clothing, and he rolls on in. Then you got another guy that shows up, and he obviously looks poor. Now, it says he's shabbily dressed. If you think about it right now, what, what would be the most attractive to you if somebody were to walk in? Unless it was like over-the-top bling, okay? You would be way more, way more attracted naturally to the person who looks put together, right? I mean, just think about that. If you had two guys walking in, one who was well put together and one who looked like he bought his clothes at a dumpster, okay? And he just, just caught it together, his shoes kind of messed up. Maybe he looks like he's been walking around for a while. Maybe he's hitchhiking. He's got that, that worn look. Maybe his hair's a little bit matted. He's got these two guys that walk into church. That's a scenario. Then it goes on and says this. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you sit, come here, sit by me, sit in a good place. While you say to the poor man, hey, um, you stand over there. You can sit down here at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? The scenario, two people walk in, one is looking nice. They got it going on. Ties tied right. Got the jewelry where it needs to be. Guy walks in looking good. Another guy shows up in church. He is looking rough. It's been a rough couple of days. Obviously, he doesn't have a whole lot. He's looking poor. If that were to happen and somebody were to be like to the rich guy, hey, you come right over here. We got a good seat. You want to sit by me? You look like you smell nice. Oh, he does, okay? You sit that person right next to you and say, no, no, listen. You don't want to sit this close. The the pastor's a little loud and he spits a little bit. You want to sit right in the middle of the Goldilocks zone, okay? Not too close, not too far, right in here. You sit by me. You look good. You smell nice. You got some cash. We want you to give here. So you just sit up here right at the front. You get right in the middle, Goldilocks area. The poor guy comes in as well, and he gets this reception. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) Yeah, you can just sit over here. Hey, you know what would be great? If you sat right underneath our vent right back here because that leaks a little bit, just sit right there. Okay? Well, how how about the guys, you know, the shabby guys, can I I sit right? No, that's actually... That's, we, we have some people that like to sit there, so can you just go? How about this? How about you just sit close to the back, just in case you might need to leave? Just go ahead and sit over there. Now, that would never happen, right? You never had a situation where you're walking into the store, and you see the guy who's looking a little rough, and you don't deviate your path a little bit to watch out for that crazy, right? Think about this in church. Two men walk in. One is treated well because of an outward appearance. One is treated shabbily because of his shabby appearance. And James says this scenario, which I think is over-exaggerated, because it even had this, you sit at my feet. You, can you imagine how awkward that would be at a church service? Like Clint's hanging out here and some guy's just sitting right next to him at your feet? I mean, that would be an interesting situation, but it's an over-exaggerated story to show something that can definitely happen. In a church, you've, we judge by outward appearances only. 
And here is what James says about this scenario. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? When that happens, when we look with somebody with with partiality, with favoritism, as they walk into our, our context of worship, our church, we are doing an evil thing. We are making a judgment call like the world would make. And I want you to know something. Whatever you want to call this word, because there's different translations that kind of give us this idea, which is favoritism, playing favorites, Partiality, being partial to one over the other, or if you want to use the word discrimination, as some, as some would use as well, that could be the case. It's anything where you are judging people based on their outward appearance and not based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should not be in the church. And to do so is a work of evil. Have you ever been to an airport? I like to go to airports. My wife and I like to go to airports, and this is probably something deep and dark in our hearts. The only reason we like to go to airports is not because we like to fly, but we like to see all the crazy people. And I'm sure people are like, look at those crazy people, but we're the people over there at Starbucks. Like we're wait- We get there like an hour and a half early to pick someone up, and we watch the crazy. You know what I'm talking Like <laughs> You probably do this. Don't lie. I know you may be more holy than me, okay? But you're like, why parachute pants, man? It's not the 90s anymore. Okay, why? And then you see the you see the ones, and you see you watch how people greet one another. Okay, we we were at the airport one day, and it's like a family greeted their their, their kid, and you could tell they're kind of emotionally constipated because it was like, "Hello, son, I haven't seen you in seven years. Oh, let's go." Okay, and then there was this other couple that I thought we have to turn the fire extinguisher on because they're like, "I love you." Ah, I mean, it was just not fun to watch that one. We were like, "Judson, don't look at that." Okay. But you see those people coming in, and what do you do? You, if you're like me, you judge them. That's not right, especially in the church, because we have a different scale of judgment. We don't judge people like those red carpet shows, best dressed and worst dressed of February 19th, I think. <laughs> Is that right? February 19, 2017, Journey Church, let's judge our fashion. Who's on the best dress list for church and who's on the worst dress list for church? That cannot be how we differentiate and how we look at people when they walk in the door. We must not play favoritism or discriminate against anyone because what does James say about that in this scenario? Have you not then made distinctions? And I think the idea is improper distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. What is the thought here? Rich guy is obviously a better person because he is wealthy. Obviously, he's got it more together. Obviously, looks like he smells better, has it all right. Poor guy. Obviously, this guy's got something not exactly right because look, look at his estate in life. I want you to know something. Biblical teaching shows us this time and time and time again that wealth is not necessarily the sign of God's favor. That God favors and loves the poor and called the weak, weak things of the world in, into his kingdom to give them glory. And that's actually where James goes here. He says this. 
verse 5 says, hey, listen, my beloved brothers. And when he says listen, he's like, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Look, look at this scenario. Now I want you to listen, my beloved brothers. And he's talking, remember, a gathered together church, an assembly of believers. And he says this, has not God, has God, let me say that again, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Hasn't God chosen the poor? Now, I want to be honest with you here because God has, in his providence, he chooses rich people to come into his kingdom too. Praise God. But he does say some things. Jesus would say things like, it is very difficult for a rich man to get into heaven. It's difficult for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. He also talks about other places where it's impossible to serve two masters, God and money. And so he wants to remind the church, and this is very, this, is, this could happen at any church. In fact, you see this all the time. Churches sometimes make decisions by outward appearance of success. I've known and been a part of churches that if you just were a successful businessman, regardless of your stature with the Lord and whether or not you're following after him, they would put you in a place of leadership because you were successful in a secular vocation. Well, obviously they have to be godly because look at all the cash they have. Are we not reading the Bible? What the heck? And, that, and you will wonder why the gangrene of sin just, just spreads through churches like that who look on outward appearances only. I want you to know this, folks, that in God's economy, he chooses poor, the poor to come in. And even those who are rich in material blessings are really poor. Martin Luther on his deathbed, and he died um, not in, uh, this time and, you know, several hundred years ago. The, the great reformer, he said at the end of his life while he was on his deathbed, truly we are all beggars. That's true. And when it comes to God's economy, none of us have a right to be saved. None of us have a right to forgiveness. None of us have a right to blessings of God. It is all of grace. And he's, he's pointing out the hypocrisy of these people. And obviously some, some form of this, there's a, hyper, there's, a, there's a hyperbole here in this story, but there's obviously something that in this church that they were judging people by their outward appearance. And what we see here in verse 5 is this that he reminds them that God chooses the poor. And if you look at the history of Christianity, Christianity has, God has chosen the poor first to come into his kingdom. Because I think one of the reasons the poor have been so, so accepting of the gospel is because they realize how destitute their situation is because they understand physical poverty. And when you understand physical poverty, then you can understand spiritual poverty. And that is exactly what he says. Remember this, God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. So this is not, this is not God choosing just poor people. He's talking about poor in spirit. Most of the time, those who are poor in spirit usually don't have all the resources of wealth. But this, is not, this, this kingdom that's coming, this, that this portion, this inheritance that they have, is God's kingdom, and it's for those who love him. So this is not just God. Like, poverty is not a good thing, right? We know that. Like, physical poverty is not a great thing. Think about it. There's people all throughout the world that have the struggle to have clean drinking water. Do you enjoy when you don't have enough to pay all the bills that come in? 
does that excite joy in your heart? <laughs> no, it usually has incites stress in your life and <laughs> hard feelings in your stomach. Poverty is not a good thing in and of itself, but what we were talking about is spiritual poverty or physical poverty that shows spiritual pro- poverty and the need for the gospel. That is what James is talking about. He says, that is, don't you remember? Why are you, ta- making, why are you making this differentiation? Like, why are you preferring the rich man and not, and not the poor man? Why are you not looking at everybody equal at the foot of the cross, everybody in need of grace, everybody having a need somewhere in their life for grace? And then he talks about, going on, he talks about the situation and what rich people at this time are doing. He says, verse 6, but you have, and this is not all rich people, by the way, just like not all poor people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and realize their spiritual poverty. This is the same thing with the the rich. But here he goes. He says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He says, don't, listen, don't you remember that God has chosen the poor to have these unspeakable riches in Christ? And don't you realize that so many of the rich folks of this era are taking advantage of the poor, especially poor believers, and taking them to court and abusing them? Have you lost your minds? Do you not hear and understand the gospel when it comes to to this situation. And in fact, if you think about James readers who were probably the, from the church in Jerusalem, they were experiencing a great amount of poverty, most of it due to wealthy Jewish people who when they found out about their faith in Jesus, went at them economically and persecuted them from so many different er- areas. So some of the people that appeared godly were the ones who were who were wealthy, were the ones taking these believers to court and probably having much of their property seized. So you get the scenario, and you get why, you understand the situation. But I want you to, I want you to just know this. Why should a church be the place? Well, we do not discriminate based on outward appearance. Why should it be the place that we don't show favoritism to those who have more and, or who have a better background than others? Why should the church, why should discrimination never be in the church? Because the church should be a place that anyone can come in and have the gospel applied to them at their point of need. Let me say that again. The church should be this place, that anybody can come in and have the gospel applied to them at their point of need. That's what James is talking about here. you got this rich man, this poor man coming into the church. He's saying, you have done an evil thing when you prefer the rich man to the poor man. Because here, here in verse 5, he said this, the poor man, when they love God and see their spiritual poverty, they receive from Jesus spiritual riches and a kingdom. And I'll tell you, I think I've never been rich, but I have been various levels of poor. Okay, in my life, and I don't. I'm not, I've not been poverty poor. I don't think we got pretty close. We were eating <laughs> in seminary. We we the Amy was work teaching at a school, and they were sending home the school lunches for us to eat at dinner sometimes. Okay, now we didn't have to do that. That helped. Okay, we weren't like starving. But if you're eating cafeteria food for dinner <laughs> from a school, 
you know, you need some cash, okay, you know? And so that, I, I've been at these various levels, and you've probably been there too at those different levels. And I want you to know something. When you're at those levels, you can see not only how difficult it is to not have any cash, but you recognize spiritual poverty, I think. I think you recognize not having the means to just go take care of your problem yourself. We all like to have that means. Like, I like to have some money saved so if something breaks in my house, I can not have to worry about where it's going to come from. And I can go ahead and I can get, you know, like our water heater busted. I was fine. I was able to pay for that. And that's fine. We have hot water. That's awesome. But none of us like to be in that position where that happens and we don't have anything. And that is spiritual poverty exemplified as we don't, we can't do anything about our situation. And so what what we have is when the poor come in and, and the poor in spirit is even Jesus would talk about, when they come in, those broken folks, we have the good news of the kingdom that your poverty can result in glorious riches through Jesus Christ. And I hope you hear me. We're not talking about cash. We're talking about the kingdom to come. That you are now, you are transported from being a beggar who is, was orphaned by sin to now you're in a part of a royal family, the family of God. And you have an inheritance coming that's greater than anything that you can imagine. And that is how the gospel is applied to the poor man. Now the rich man, a lot of times, they're in the same spiritual place in a lot of ways, but they don't recognize their poverty because of their wealth. And I think sometimes in America, and I bet you if I did a poll in here, which I'm not going to do, okay, be clear, did a poll in here of who thinks they're rich, none of you would raise your hand, okay? And probably rightfully so. Compared to the rest of the world, we are exceedingly rich. And I'll tell you another thing about that. When we are rich, we depend on ourselves so much more. And, how, man, and, and wealth is a cruel God. It leaves us so quickly and abandons us. And also it causes us to be cruel to others in order to keep and to amass more wealth. And there needs to be this gospel, this gospel presentation, if you will, a meeting at a point of need to the wealthy man that shows you actually are spiritually poor. You're covering over your spiritual poverty and, and your need for Jesus by other things and trying to do life on your own terms and save yourself with your own hand and your own money. And that is why we see here the gospel. The church should never be a place of discrimination, a place where you look at somebody's outward appearance and you judge them and you put them to the side because we are, should be a place where if you come through those doors, we will apply the gospel to you as needed. Secondly, I want you to see this. Partiality has no place in the church because God himself does not discriminate. You see, if Romans chapter 2, verse 11. This is, and most of this has to do with judgment, by the way, but verse Romans 2, 11 says, For God does not show any partiality. And Ephesians 6, 9 says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Colossians three twenty five says this, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. God judges based on, he does not just judge based on a curve. His judgment and his blessings are not partial. He is a God who treats us as, he, he, 
we get what we deserve until we come to grace, and then we get way better. God does not prefer. And I want to be clear about this. The discrimination that we're talking about, because some of us are like, man, rich people do stink. <laughs> some of you are like, yeah. You get this picture of a rich person in your mind, the tycoon who's lighting a cigar with a $100 bill, and today you're just sitting here thinking, yep, not going to be my problem. I always, I always prefer the least and the last compared to the rich. I mean, how many of you rooted for the Falcons just because the Patriots had so many things, except for all you Pats fans out there, right? You What? what? You're rooting for the underdog. That's America right there, okay? That's America. Root for the underdog. They're having a problem with it, especially when it comes to money. Yeah, get those rich guys. Get them. Take care of them. Yeah, they do abuse the poor. Yeah. I want you to know something. This word partiality or favoritism or however you want to say it has the idea in the literal translation of to receive the face or to look at somebody at face value. And it does not have to do just with this scenario of finances, but it has to do with any external circumstance or appearance such as rank, wealth, race, background that helps us disregard the, the intrinsic merit of the person and helps us push them to the side and diminish them. That is a huge problem. It doesn't just happen based on cash. It happens based on background, where you came from, family background. It happens based on race. It happens based on so many different things. Now, why should the church be the place where those external things are not the things you were judged by. First off, we know that we are all created in the image of God by a good God who put, who put value and his stamp and his fingerprint on every human being. So we cannot judge somebody based on their background, even if it's religious. Now, this does not mean, I hope you understand me, this doesn't mean you don't preach the gospel to them. It means you don't, you don't put them out at first glance doesn't mean you accept everything they do, but you accept them as a person. Do you get that? That is, that is what's happening. And so we see this in the book of Galatians where Paul talks about what happens in Christ, that there is no more discrimination, should be no more discrimination in the church because God's impartial. And we see this in Galatians 3, 27, 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew or Greek. That's race here. There is neither slave nor free. That's background here. There is no male or female. That is gender. For you are all one in Christ. That does not mean that those external differentiations don't that they cease to exist. What it does mean is that in Christ, you're, it's a level playing field. So in the church, when we see people come in the doors and we implore people to come, do you know who, are, who should be excluded? No one should be excluded. 
No one should be put aside. No one should get the favoritism, whether rich or poor. Whether they come in here with a giant face tattoo because they had a rough life or they just like those or whatever, we shouldn't look down on that person because you don't know their background. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what, what they need to hear. You don't know the gospel, and the gospel makes us all right in Christ. It makes us reconcile to God and to one another. The gospel is that amazing, and the church should be this amazing house where people don't lose their distinctive characteristics, but they all come under the umbrella and submission to the lordship of Jesus. And when our churches look at people when they come through the door or discriminate who we're going to invite in based on background, gender, anything, appearance, wealth, we are no longer being this emissary, this embassy of the kingdom of God. And we're just being a religious institution. Because in, in the grand final scope of things, every nation, tribe, and tongue will be represented before the throne of God. And this church should look more and more diverse every day. And so we have this opportunity to, in this culture that is hugely divided based on so many things, based on gender, based on wealth, based on race, the church has this great calling and great opportunity to be this place of no partiality. You just need to walk through the doors. Now, I hope you hear me on this. This does not mean we don't apply the gospel and we don't stand on the principles of God. No, I'm saying we just don't, we don't judge them when we, they walk in. We don't do what that man did who goes and berates the people because they don't look exactly how he thinks they should look when they walk in the doors. We should come on, brother. Hey, you're rich. You need the gospel this way. You need the humility of the gospel. Oh, you're poor? You need to know about the good news of the gospel. Oh, you're broken? Well, you need to know about the healing power of Jesus. Oh, you're, 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 you're locked up in addiction? You need to know the freedom of the chains that are in Jesus. Oh, you've been abused? Oh, there was one who was abused for our transgressions and broken for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace were upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. There is freedom here. But that freedom cannot be expressed to people if when they walk through the doors we look at them and prejudge them. Can't treat the church like the airport. And honestly, we shouldn't treat the airport like the airport either. Then he goes on, he tells us, he, he, James goes on and further says, partiality should have no place in the church, it's evil, it, show, it violates this thing, it violates God, it doesn't sh it show the heart of God who is a God of non-partiality, it doesn't show the heart of God, the God who meets us at our point of needs and brings us into faith in Jesus, it's not only that, but it also, it also, he shows us that partiality is sin and we're breaking the second great commandment. If you would, in verse 8, it says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted 
of the law as a transgressor. So here's the idea here. If you show partiality, you're breaking the second great commandment, which he calls here the royal law. Now, what does it mean by royal law? It means it was given down, decreed by royalty. And who is the one who called this one of the great, the second great commandment? Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. They asked him, Lord, what's the greatest commandments? And he said, here, the great commandments are this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus 19, and he's summing up the whole law of the Bible in these two great laws, that you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And he wants you to see this. When you, when you judge someone, when they walk in on external factors, especially within the house of God, when you judge them pre before you know them, when you judge them before you line them up to Scripture, but when you judge them, discriminate against them, show favoritism against them as they walk in, or at a cursory meeting, or just putting them off to the side, you are violating the second great commandment and transgressing the law of God, which is what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you ever wish sometimes you could hear what people are thinking about you, like hear their inner monologue? I do regularly, because I'm kind of awkward sometimes. You probably know this about me already. Sometimes I wonder, like, I hope that person doesn't hate me. Why did I say that? Uh, This is my inner monologue. That was really awkward. Just keep shaking their hand, Matt. Oh, shaking their hand too long, and you were just wondering what they're thinking about you. I don't know if you ever do that, but I do that. It's probably neurotic. I understand that. Can you imagine if you heard their inner monologue? How many of you, when you walked in the church, would you like, would you love to hear inner monologues of people, what they think about you? It would be scary to a certain extent. Hopefully it would not be something that would, the Spirit will move that out of here, but you you think about that. The Internet allows people's inner monologues to become outwardly shared, and that's why it's such a treasure trove of nasty. Think about the comments that people leave on professional athletes' websites, on their Facebook and their Twitter. Think about all those things. Think about even the junk some people will talk about each other when they're Facebook friends. Like you would never say that face to face with the person, but I can ride it through the, anonym- the pseudo-anonymity of this situation. How would you like it if when you come in, let's take for example the guy who gets up the nerve to come through the doors of a church. Maybe their background's been bad. Maybe they've been treated poorly by a church before. Maybe they have been told by people like, (laughs) you go through a church, lightning will strike you, (laughs) okay? That guy walks in, and the first thing that person sees is a scowl or a judgmental look. Put yourself in their position for a moment. Your brokenness, your pain, the awkwardness of walking through, walking into a body of believers for the first time. It's awkward. And you, that's happening. Think about, would you want somebody to judge you and show favoritism to someone else and to belittle you and, and to, to make you feel discriminated against when, they walk, when, you, when you walked into church? Would you want that? Certainly you wouldn't. 
Certainly you would want that embrace. Certainly you would want that. Sometimes we just want anonym- a smile and anonymity so I can sit down, okay, as quick as possible. Would you want, would you want that? Would you, would, do we like to be discriminated against? Would we like to see other people treated better than we are? No, we would, cr- we would be very upset about that. You, do you realize that that's violating the, the law of God? And I want you to know something. And this has settled in heavy on me lately. Partiality should not be in the church because we should be this embassy for the grace of God. Secondly, partiality should not be in the church because we're breaking the second great commandment and we're transgressing God's law, the law that Jesus himself gave. We are, we, are, we are transgressing a law that our Savior gave from his royal decree who is worthy of all obedience and worthy of all praise and also worthy of all of our love and obedience. But also, when we break the law, we are breaking the whole law, and breaking the law of God carries with it very big consequences. Consequences on a corporate level, I believe, as a church body, but also consequences to ourselves. Verse 10 talks about those consequences. He goes, for whoever keeps the, law, the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Now, that seems difficult at first, like, okay, so if I show partiality here and break the second great commandment, I'm guilty of the whole law? Well, I didn't commit murder. What do you mean? And then verse 11 says this, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. It says you cannot look at the law of God, the Old Testament law, which now we understand being fulfilled and applied in Jesus Christ, you cannot look at it as like, I, like, like a pick-and-choose thing. Well, I'm really good at not murdering people. Like, I haven't done that, okay? But I'm not really good at loving my neighbor as, my, as, as, I, I would, as myself. Like, I'm really good at not committing adultery, but I might be a little idolatrous, The law cannot be broken into its many parts. The law represents the lawgiver who gives these laws as as an expression of his character. And to break one of the laws is to be a lawbreaker and to transgress and to sin against God directly. I want you to understand, when we sin, it's not just breaking a rule. We are in rebellion against God. Because you've done this, like, I remember in school, you're not supposed to chew gum. Well, what did you usually do? I chewed gum. Okay? Tried to get away with it. You know, the one where the teacher looked, and you're like, I'm not chewing gum. We weren't supposed to. I grew up in Florida. We were not supposed to wear open-toed shoes, so we'd try to find the most open-toed thing we could get away with. Or you'd, like, tie a string on the back of your flip-flop or something, okay? Or you put socks on with your... I did this all the time to try to get out of this because it's just a, just a little rule. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. But when you, when you look at the commandments, the law of God is violating God's law, violating his personhood, violating his, his, his ethical requirements, violating God, it changes it. It's more personal. It's not like, you know, you looked at your principal when you broke the law in high school, and you're like, it's nothing personal, dude. I just don't, I don't want to let my toes breathe, okay? But that's not how you look at the law. The law is a transgression against the holy God who gave it in one bit. Secondly, it goes on and it says this. If you do not commit adultery but, you do, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. 
people, if you're ever in this situation, I've, I've, I've learned this. Sometimes this, this is a good way to talk to somebody about the gospel, especially if they think that they've never sinned. And there's people out there who think that they've never sinned. And one thing is, have you ever told a lie? Everybody's, oh, yeah, I've told a white lie. Well, would you consider yourself to be a liar? Well, no. Well, let's think about this for a second. Have you lied? Yes. What does that mean? I'm a liar. You see this? The one breaking of the law is breaking the whole law. You become a lawbreaker, and because of that, you bear the consequences of lawbreaking, which the consequences of lawbreaking is hell. But then, verse 12 helps us understand what James is getting at. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. See, the law was this taskmaster that showed us our sin. In Christ, though, when we see our sin, recognize our spiritual poverty, come to faith in Jesus, the law is now no longer just the taskmaster. It is the way to our liberty and our liberation to follow Jesus. And now, because of our changed place, we can follow the law. And so what is he saying here? Love your neighbor as yourself when you welcome in the stranger. Don't discriminate. Don't look down on them. But let, what, do you, what should you do? Speak and act as those who are judged by the law of liberty. Those who recognize how bad it is to sin against God and those re- who recognize that now they have the ability to obey because Jesus has liberated them. The law we no longer look as our taskmaster. But we look at it as a way to please our God and Father. And so when we welcome in those of all different types in the church and we seek to apply the gospel to them, and that's what this place becomes, a place where, what's your background? doesn't matter. Come on in. We're going to love you and point you to Jesus and apply the gospel where you are. Oh, yeah? You've been abused? Come on in. Oh, yeah? You had a rough one? Come on in. Oh, yeah? You're rich and you love your money? Well, Jesus has got some tough stuff to say to you, but there's hope for you. Yeah, it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven like a camel going through an eagle's eye, but guess what? With God, all things are possible, and he could get your bloated, rich hiney through. So come on. And this place becomes this where we welcome. We have standards. We have the gospel. We have the truth. But you could come in here, and you get a hug, and you could get somebody to point you and apply the gospel to you where you are because we know you're screwed up. We are too. We just know the law of liberty now. We've been freed from the law of sin and death by Jesus Christ, and now we know the law of liberty, and so we should speak and act as those who want to love God and love neighbor out of a relationship. And so we should not show partiality. And then he goes, and he just shows you this. For judgment is without mercy to those who has, let me say that again. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy If you show no mercy, it's evidence that you have not received mercy from God. So those of us who know our situation and understand the mercy of God will want to show mercy to others, especially the stranger who walks in the door. Because we know how much they need mercy and how much mercy we have received. And then get this. Man, I tell you what, I... 
this is this is crazy. This is such good news. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There was a sign, and I've probably told you about this one. This sign made me so this makes me so angry I went blind almost. The sign said, Don't worry. It's in front of a church. Don't worry. God is not mad at you. Have you read the Bible? He is furious with you because you have violated and transgressed his law and shook your fist at him and the God of the universe told you what to do and he told you how you should live and you said, forget you. Of course he's angry. But get this. There's only one thing more furious than his anger. It's his grace and love in Jesus. That's why mercy triumphs over judgment in God's economy. You hear me? You're not giving people good news if you don't tell them they're horribly damned because of their sin. But you are not telling the whole story. <laughs> that's, that's awful. That's bad news, okay? You're not telling the gospel if you don't have the good news that mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what this church, that's what church should be. As you walk in, you, you're in this, wherever you are, rich, poor, black, white, other nationality, wherever you come in, you're in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We're all in poor, we're all poor and needy, and the need of the gospel be applied in our life, in our particular set of circumstances and situations, and we need to have that embrace of this embassy of the kingdom of God as they come in, and we need to tell these people truth about their sin, but truth about God's mercy, that God's mercy triumphs over judgment, and that will not happen if we are in the, doing the sin of not loving our neighbor as ourselves, and that will not happen if we are cold and indifferent to those who are in need of mercy. Where does that start? It starts with the handshake. It starts with the hug. It starts with the, come on and sit by me. I don't care if you smell a little bit. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you don't look like me. You don't talk like me. We probably don't have a whole lot of things in common. We do have one thing in common. We are both beggars in need of the grace of Jesus. And I want to welcome you to the place where mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to tell you a story to conclude, because I feel like I threw the church I grew up in under the bus a little bit this morning. That was true. That was sad. And that man who went after those people from Australia in the bike shorts was a man who needs to repent. And that was sin. However, I want to tell you another story. This church was located in a rough area of town in Panama City. And we had evening service as well. So at 6 o'clock, we were out there singing the hymns. We had those, we had the big old hymnals, and we are singing them. The youth used to sit in the front of the church. This guy comes in, and uh, you tell he was not from this this church because no one ever came through the front entrance because the front entrance it opened up like right in front of the stage so everybody could see you. I don't know if you've ever been in a church like that. You walk in like, oh no. <laughs> they have begun <laughs> and everybody's watching me. They didn't have, we had this back entrance everybody come in. Well this guy, you could tell he had not been here before because he comes in the side entrance of the door and he walks in and he's about six foot four middle-aged man. Looks kind of rough. He goes, and the first two rows, the first two rows are the where the youth used to sit at our church, and he goes and he sits right down at the at in the youth bench, and all the teenagers are like, <gasps> and myself included, like, 
I don't know this guy, you know? <laughs> Stranger danger, okay? <laughs> and my friend Josh, recognized, who's sitting close to me, he recognized this guy didn't know what he was doing, and so he reached over and grabbed a hymnal we were singing, and he handed him the hymnal, and we began singing the hymns together. The guy's like, hey, thank you. You can tell everybody it's a little on edge, okay, because this is unusual, okay? Maybe it shouldn't have been, but it was unusual for this place. Our worship leader at the time stopped the first song after it was over, and he said, you know what, guys, we in Christ should love one another and be able to give to one another and even, you know, give the shirt off our back to someone out of love. Well, <laughs> the guy who just received the hymnal, who just walked in, took that literally. And as God is my witness, this middle-aged man took off his shirt <laughs> in the worship service and handed it to my friend who handed him the hymnal. I wish you could have seen his face. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> Why are you shirtless, middle-aged man? Why is this happening at church? Oh, my goodness. And we're all like, the guy has got his shirt off. Why does the guy have his shirt off? Oh, my gosh, the guy has his shirt off. What is happening? This is the opposite thing that happened with the guys or the people, a couple in the bike shorts. These deacons in our church got up. They went up and they embraced this man who, has, as, as the embrace started, a full-blown sob ensued. Not a regular sob, but like this loud, I mean, just echoed through this whole thing. You want to talk about an awkward time at church? This was awkward. They took this man out. They did not call the police, but they ministered to him. He was drunk as a skunk and messed up as all sorts, but they ministered the gospel to him. They did not come back in the service because they realized that they needed to take church to this man. Now, I know that was conduct unbecoming at the beginning of the service, and that is not what it should be, but I want you to know something. Even in a church that had so, much, so many spiritual problems, the light of Christ shone through. And they were doing and acting according to the law of liberty. And mercy was triumphing over judgment. Oh, may we be a place, an embassy of the kingdom of God, that mercy triumphs over judgment and it begins when you walk in. That we'd see just diversity spring up all over this place because we will be willing to welcome you in and apply the gospel where you need it. Oh God, make this that kind of place. Let's pray. God, make this a place, an embassy of heaven, the first fruits of the kingdom. Oh, God, help us repent of our judgmental favoritism and our discrimination and our partiality. Remind us of the grace of God. Remind us, Lord, of our situation and help us not judge but be this welcoming place in which the gospel can be applied at points of need. Oh, Lord, make this a place where mercy triumphs over judgment. And God, make this a place where we would so speak and so act according to the law of liberty. We come today ready to receive your word, 
and also ready to go and obey as we leave. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.